0: Let me encourage you uh, to turn in your Bibles with me tonight to the end of the 7th chapter of the Gospel according to John. We're we're going to read uh, beginning with the last verse of the Gospel of John and then through verse 12 of chapter 8. Okay. Hear the word of the true and living God. I'm sorry, John chapter 8, verse 52. They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They went each to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, law Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. All flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower thereof falls away, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's for the ministry of God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we bow before you and we do indeed once again give thanks that you have given us a written account of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus in the days of his flesh when he walked among us. And we now know that he continues to walk among us by his spirit. And so we cry out to you, O God, that you would be pleased to send forth the Spirit of Christ to give light to us as we would consider this passage. Father, I pray that you would be pleased to neutralize all the inadequacies of the one who would present these words. And Father, that you would do what no man can possibly do in the act of preaching, And that is point to Christ. And may he be exalted in this text. Father, I pray that if there's anyone here among us tonight who as of yet is a stranger to your grace. Lord, that you would be pleased effectually to call them unto yourself. That they may find Christ to be the light of the world. Father we look around us and we see on the news and from other sources how the darkness of this world is expressing itself right up to the present hour. Lord, may the light of Christ shine upon us. We ask in his name. Amen. The one thing that really strikes me repeatedly, and I never tire of saying this, is that you can hardly read the New Testament without immediately being struck by its unembarrassed supernaturalism through and through. Virtually everywhere you read, remarkable things are taking place, Uh, and not the least are they taking place in the life. Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again and again. He says things. And does things. That cause people to marvel. And to wonder at him. And here. He's doing it once again. Then Jesus spoke to them again. Saying verse 12. I am the light of the world. He who follows me. Shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of the world of life. I can well imagine unbelievers asking the question, what exactly is the Christian faith all about? Or if someone were to ask you, what is the Christian faith? What is Christianity? How would you respond to such a person? I suppose that many people would be surprised to discover that Christianity is not, for example, a code of ethics. Now, to be sure, Christianity is deeply ethical. It is profoundly moral. But Christianity, per se, is not a code of ethics. Others might be surprised to hear that Christianity is not a philosophy of life. It is not a worldview. Now, it has a philosophy of life. And Christianity has a worldview. But it is not per se a philosophy of life. Still others might be surprised to discover that Christianity is not a manifesto for the weak, for the poor, for the marginalized throughout society. Although Christianity cares profoundly for the weak, for the feeble, for the dispossessed, for the marginalized And for the unborn. But that is not what Christianity is. Essentially. What then is the Christian faith? Well John tells us repeatedly. Over and over again. In his gospel narrative. Of Jesus Christ. And in essence. John is telling us that the Christian faith is this. That the almighty creator God who made heaven and earth and who upholds all things by the word of his power has come down in the person of his son into the brokenness, into the darkness, into the rebellion of this world bringing healing and hope to restore us to himself, to bring us back to himself to his fellowship, to his family, and to fit us for his glory and his nearer presence throughout eternity. That is what Christianity is essentially. Now much else flows from that. But this is the heart of everything. And so here we find Jesus once again making... remarkable self-declarations. I am, he says, the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John punctuates his gospel narrative through and through with these significant self-declarations Of Jesus Christ. In chapter 6 as we saw last time. Jesus said I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. In chapter 10 he says I am the door or I am the gate. Of the sheep, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He says later on in the same passage of John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In chapter 11, while standing beside the tomb of Lazarus, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then in chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in chapter 15, I am the true vine. Israel as a nation was indeed God's planting. But she had turned her back. On God, and God had come in the person of his Son and began, as it were, to reunite his people to himself. I am the true vine, united to me and grafted to me, will bring you life which is everlasting. You can hardly miss the unembarrassed supernaturalism of the New Testament if you're reading. "...with any degree of sensitivity or understanding." And so this evening, I want for us very simply to unpack a little these words of our Lord Jesus. He has just shined the light of God's forgiving grace into the life of this woman who had been caught in adultery. She had been dragged, shamed, and humiliated before the Lord Jesus... And Jesus speaks to his woman. You'll notice at the close of this, he says, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Here was a woman who was brought to Christ in her brokenness in her other public disgrace. And what does he do? He shines, as I said, the light of God's pardoning kindness and grace into her life. And it's amazing. I love the brief, poignant, uh, touching comment of the early church father, Augustine, on this passage. He worked himself all the way through the Gospel of John. And Augustine is looking at this picture when all of the accusers have just vanished and they walked away. And, and if you could see it in the Latin, there's a play on the words in the Latin, which is rather beautiful. But uh, he says of this scene, only two remained, misery and mercy. Misery. And mercy. Having dispelled then the darkness of her sin, Jesus now stands in this little backwater town of the ancient world and he declares himself there to be the light of the world. <clears throat> what a remarkable thing! Here is someone who, in many ways, appeared to be nothing more than the ordinary man walking around in the dust of Palestine, and yet who has the self-conscious assurance to stand before mere men and women and set himself forth as the one who is the light of the world. Not simply the light for Israel, But I am the light, he says, of the world. I want you to notice two things with me this evening in these words of the Lord Jesus. First of all, we're going to look at the astounding claim that he makes. And then we're going to consider the wonderful promise that is annexed to this claim. First of all then, look at the astounding claim that Christ makes. What did Jesus mean to communicate with these words? I am the light of the world. The egocentricity is cosmic. Literally, of course, he is saying, I am the light of the cosmos. What did he mean? Well, I think there are at least three things that Jesus meant when he uttered these words. He meant, first of all, I am the Promised one of God. I am the one for whom you have been waiting. I am the one to whom the prophets have pointed. I am the prophetic fulfillment of that which they, the prophets, foresaw. I think it's very likely. That Jesus had in mind the very words that I read for our call to worship tonight. The 42nd chapter of Isaiah. It may have been Isaiah chapter 49. I the Lord have called you in righteousness. He's speaking of his servant, the promised Messiah, the Savior. And will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people and as a light to the gentiles that is who you will be is this you will be god come in the flesh and god is saying to his servant there you will be my light for the gentiles to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison house those who sit in darkness, you're going to shine light upon them. And so Jesus is saying here, I am that promised one, the one of whom the prophets spoke and to whom they pointed. I am the one whom God has set apart to be a light to the nations and I have come in direct fulfillment of God's Promise, perhaps not as you expected me to come. You remember when John the Baptist. was in prison in the 11th chapter of the gospel according to Matthew. The very one who baptized Jesus. The very one who pointed to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who bears away the sin of the world. John is now in prison. He's awaiting death and he sends his own disciples to Jesus to ask, Are you really the promised one? Are you really the coming one? Or do we look for another? You see what Jesus was doing. He was healing a blind man here and a deaf man there. Causing the lame to walk here and feeding the multitudes over there. There were no fireworks, as it were, that the people had imagined would take place when Messiah would come and that all the earth would know of his coming. And even John the Baptist begins to doubt and to say, are you really the promised one? You remember how Jesus responds to John's despondency and he instructs John's disciples and he sends them back to him and he says, go and tell John the things which you see and hear. The blind see, Jesus said. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. cleansed, The deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Go and tell John that. But then you'll notice, secondly, that Jesus is saying in this astounding, self-confident egocentricity, God has come among you. I am the light of the world. If you know your Bibles at all, then you know that throughout the scriptures, it is Yahweh, the sovereign God, who has described the light. And it is climatically, you'll remember, in the first epistle of John that he writes and says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John has prepared us for that. In this, his gospel. And in the last verse of his prologue, he gives us a foretaste of this. Chapter 1 in verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared Him. He has exegeted Him. Jesus Christ is the self-revelation of God. And a little later, In his gospel, one of his disciples, Philip, comes to him and says, John 14, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And you'll recall what Jesus says to Philip. He says to him, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Not that he is the Father, but that everything the Father is, I am Jesus was saying, I am the self-revelation of God. And that's why Jesus received worship and accepted worship. It was in the aftermath of the storm that his disciples once asked him, Who can this be who commands even the winds and the water and they obey him? It is the Almighty Creator who has come down into the midst of His broken creation to fix it in person. But then, thirdly, Jesus was saying something more in addition to these things when He said, I am the light of the world. Not only is He saying, I am the promised Messiah. Not only is he saying, I am God come in the flesh. He is saying, I am heaven's answer to the brokenness and the darkness of this creation. I am the light of the world. Jesus has come to us as light from heaven to bring hope into the hopelessness Of our world, to bring life out of death that covers the face of our world, and to bring truth, the light of truth, to scatter the ignorance and the darkness that covers the face of our world. In the world, the word darkness, what does it usually characterize? Most often it represents ignorance. It represents ignorance of God. I suppose that's our fundamental default human condition. We're ignorant of God as He truly is. We do not know God as He is. We do not know ourselves really as we are. We are an enigma to ourselves, a puzzle to ourselves. How many times have you heard someone Oh, say, well, I don't even know who I am anymore. Lots of times that is but the expression of the darkness of sin. Sin can cloud the mind. The noetic effects of sin, the effects of sin upon the mind bring darkness. All you have to do is just turn on the news sometime. And of course, you don't see it so much on the networks. Uh, But there's a lot of riots going on around our country. Darkness is expressing itself everywhere you turn. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I have come to light up God to you. I have come to reveal the true God to you. Behold your God in glorious holiness, Jesus is saying. Behold your God who is of purer eyes than to behold evil. Habakkuk 1 in verse 13. But behold your God who says to a woman caught in the very act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin. No more. Misery and mercy. I am the light of the world. I have come to make God known to His broken creation. That's what Jesus is saying. I have come to shine the light of God's truth into the darkness so that men and women, boys and girls, might see themselves as God sees them. That truth might scatter all of our fond imaginations and conceptions and conceits about ourselves. Most fundamentally that we're essentially okay, just a little rough around the edges. God says our problem is one that affects us through and through. When we speak of the doctrine of total depravity, we're not saying that man is as bad as he can be. But we're saying that every part of man, every aspect of man, every, each and every part of his being is touched and tainted and corrupted by sin. And the word of God, and it comes and it says, The heart of of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Actually, in the Hebrew it says, incurably sick. Incurably sick. For out of the heart, Jesus said, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. He goes to the heart of the matter to tell us that our problem is not that we're just a little rough around the edges, but that our problem is that we need a brand new heart and a new start altogether. I'll never forget as, as a little boy, I was listening to this old gospel preacher preach. <laughs> and you know, When you're a boy, you come up, you hear lots of things in the course of preaching. But I've always heard some preachers, you know, they'd stand in the pulpit and they'd say, give your heart to God. And this old preacher, he was preaching, he said, all these people say, give your heart to God. Give your heart to God. He says, I got something to tell you. He said, God don't want your nasty heart. (laughs) He wants to give you a new heart. (laughs) That's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to give us a new heart. And so back in chapter 3, he says to religious Nicodemus, you'll remember, the reverend professor Nicodemus. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, do you understand what your problem is? That's what Jesus is really saying to him. What's that, Lord? He says, this is it, Nicodemus. You need to be born again, man. It's that bad. Your problem is not that you're just a little rough around the edges. You need a brand new beginning and a brand new start. You need to be born again. Can you imagine how that must have sounded to a man's ears who's called in verse 10 of chapter 3, the teacher of Israel. But Jesus is the light of the world and He comes to bring the light of God's truth to shine in our hearts. He comes, as it were, to undo us and to redo us all over again. But he also comes ever so tenderly, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, it is the light of this remarkable encounter with this woman caught in the very act of adultery that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's not making some bland, philosophical, existential statement about himself. Uh, He is saying to all those around him, that is those who have ears to hear, do you see what I am? what I have done by my grace, what I have done for this woman, I can do for any other as well. Whatever darkness they're in, and my friend, whatever darkness you may be in here tonight, or those of you who are viewing by way of live stream, whatever darkness you may be experiencing, maybe uh, you've stumbled here and there along what life's way. And, and uh, you may have a heavy heart because the darkness of sin has overwhelmed you, as it were. Maybe you've been caught in a sin, very much like this precious woman was. If so, then the Lord Jesus has a word for you this evening. He's saying to you, I am the light of the world. What hope there is in this, because light comes not only to dispel the darkness, but it comes to cheer and to encourage and to give fresh hope. One of the lines in that great hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus, He makes the saddest heart to sing. Because He is the light of the world, because He brings the light of God's truth, And love to shine in our hearts painfully, admittedly at first it is, as our sins are exposed to the light. And we see just how wickedly and how shamefully our sin is against this great God. And then you hear those unbelievably beautiful, coveting words, son, daughter, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you, he makes the saddest heart to sing. And so Jesus makes this astounding claim. But then notice with me as we look at the second part of this, he makes a glorious promise that is annexed to his astounding claim. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The one who follows me, he's saying, the one who follows me, whoever you are, regardless of who you are, whatever you've done and whatever you're doing, whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. As for myself, I do not think that following Jesus is absolutely synonymous with believing in Jesus. They're very related. It's wider than simply believing. Now, if we rightly understood the word believing, it would be synonymous. Let me explain. When you believe on the Lord Jesus, you believe in two The Lord Jesus. You are brought into union with Jesus Christ. And this means that wherever He goes, you go. Because you're in union with Him. But I think our Lord is actually saying here that those who possess the light of life, God's free forgiveness, the knowledge of His love, the hope of His glory are those who actually follow Him. There's a very provocative phrase in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, where it speaks of the redeemed of God as those who what? Who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And I think our Lord is saying to these people many of whom, as can be seen later in the chapter, believed in him. But their believing was a very temporary believing. It was a shallow believing. It was not a following believing. And Jesus says to them, If you want to know, If you really want to know the light of God, if you want to know the light of life that dispels the darkness of sin, that brings hope and pardon and peace and future glory into your life, then you'll need to be following me, to be walking after me. Let me try to make it a little bit more contemporary for us today. What does it mean here in KD, Texas, for us to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, obviously, it does mean to put your trust in Him. It means to confess Him to others, to confess Him as your Lord and Savior. But what does it mean in actual practice? Well, it means standing with Christ and His truth against all the waves of unbelief, that are flooding our nation today, you see the expression of that darkness all around us. It means, for example, standing with Christ against those who would seek to obliterate the unborn in their mother's womb. It means standing with Christ against those who would legitimize homosexuality, what the Bible describes as an unnatural sin against God and nature. It means standing with Christ and His truth against the waves of ungodliness, of darkness that are flooding all over our nation. It means standing with Christ in the midst of Of a multicultural, multi faith society, greeting and welcoming people from all over the ends of the earth, and yet saying, There is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than that of Jesus Christ, unashamedly proclaiming the uniqueness of Christ, the sole saviorhood of Christ. It means standing with Christ. That's what following the Lamb wherever He goes means. Not simply when it's convenient, but when it may prove costly, when your job is on the line, when your life... Is on the line. Are you following the lamb? Wherever he goes. He who follows me. Jesus said. Shall not walk in darkness. But shall have the light of life. The light of life. The pardon of God. The fellowship of God. Membership in the family of God. The hope of the glory of God. These benefits. Are for those. Who follow the Lord Jesus Christ as the light of the world and whose path they follow undeviating. So let me ask you as I close this evening, are you following the Lord Jesus Christ? And you say, Well, you know, David, I try I'm not asking you if you do it purpose perfectly. I'll guarantee you there's not one person among us tonight who follows Christ perfectly. But I'm asking you, do you do it purposefully? Do you purposefully seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ wherever he goes? Are you resolved God helping you to follow him wherever he goes? However costly it may prove to follow him. You don't need to tell You don't need me to tell you that we live in uncertain times today. I mean, all you have to do is just look around, go on YouTube sometimes and just look at some of the riots that are taking place. And I look around at events as they're unfolding and as I read the assessments of some religious folk, it seems to me that we're reverting to educated paganism. And Christianity and Christian believers are being mocked and marginalized in society today. And Christianity is looked down upon. I don't care. Do you care? Who knows what difficulties and opposition may yet assault the church of Jesus Christ because the darkness of our society is increasing. But the early Christian church was born in a world that sought to exterminate Jesus Christ and his church. But Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Are you following the Lamb wherever he goes? Are you making the word of God the sure guide? of your life. Jesus Christ did not come as I said at the very beginning to give us a philosophy of life. He came to give us himself. And he gives us himself as the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. What egocentricity But it is the egocentricity of truth, of the one who himself is the truth. May we be numbered among those who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Let's pray.